All right, good morning, everyone. If you could take a look at the screen, and I'd like for you to pick a word from this list that describes you during this past week, and maybe just share with the person next to you. You can choose any word you would like. Do you mind doing that real quick as we get into the sermon? Go ahead. I don't know where you are this morning, but we are entering into a sermon series on the word contentment. How many of you guys chose the word content? Anyone in here? Okay, a few of you. Good. Okay. You know, contentment is a biblical virtue and a value that we are commanded to because really it has such great impact in our lives. In 1 Timothy 6.6, it mentions that there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Contentment is so important for the Christian that Martin Luther said next to faith that contentment is the highest art for the Christian. And you and I, we know how important it is. And yet, here's the striking part. Very few believers experience it on a day-to-day basis. We know biblically that we are commanded to it, that it's a virtue that's so valuable to us, and yet there's a struggle that many of us face day-to-day with this idea of contentment. This is an article from teamblind.com. This is a website where you can give questions to life. And experts in in business, in leadership, they'll respond and answer your question. And there was a guy named Bob, and maybe you can relate with Bob. I don't think that's his real name, but that's kind of what his screen name said. And he says this, quote, I have been living pretty good life. Kids, big suburban house, vacations. Household assistance to take care of cleaning, laundry, dishes, gardening. And yet, I am not content. And I'm many times not even thankful. My kids grow up taking fancy toys and vacations for granted. And when I look at overall humanity, I must be in the top percent, one percent of the pyramid. Yet, still so unhappy. So his question is this. What are the steps do you take in life to be content and thankful? I don't know if you can relate with Bob, but I sure can. Because discontentment tries to creep into my mind and my heart every day. Does it for you? Anyone in here? Okay, thank you, one person. My assumption is that many of you, that happens. 
And sometimes you'll be just totally content, and then all of a sudden, like, something, little thing triggers, and then it happens. For example, a friend of mine, his name was Michael. He's an African-American pastor friend of mine. And so we're just kind of sharing about our weeks, and he just said, hey, hey, John, I just spoke at this church. You know, they paid me about $3,000 to speak there. I was shocked. Because when a pastor speaks, like when I go speak somewhere, they pay me like $100, $200, like, for a sermon. So I was kind of intrigued. I said, why did they pay you $3,000? Because he said, well, you know, at this church, you know what they do is actually if the pastor gives a sermon that really blesses you, they just take an offering for the pastor. So they'll go up and say, hey, you know, if this brother really just blessed you, we're going to pass the offering basket. Why don't you just give? And I just get whatever they give. They put it in an envelope, and I just take it home. And I was like, I need to speak at that church. He went on to share that that money was very important because his parents were going through a very difficult time financially. So he gave all that money to his parents to support them. Now, something interesting happened in my heart. You would think I would be very happy for my friend. But guess what started to happen? You know what I start to think? I was like, man, I can't even give $50 to my parents right now if I wanted to. That's what started to happen. I have friends maybe that could buy cars for their parents. But because I'm a pastor in my situation, when I bought my house, they had to buy me my washer and dryer because I couldn't afford it. Like those were the thoughts that were coming into my heart and mind. And all of a sudden I find myself in a place when I should have been celebrating my friend I find myself struggling with discontentment. Just slowly started to creep in. And it happens to all of us. You could be on social media, you see someone in Hawaii, or they got a new job, and you start thinking to yourself, I should be in Hawaii. You know what? I should have a new job. My job is not so good. And it slowly starts to affect us. You know, I read a commentary this week on this passage, and it says something very important about why discontent is so dangerous. And the commentary said this, discontent is dangerous because it is like ink poured into water, which fills the whole heart of a person full of darkness. It casts a cloud over the mind and moves our heart to self-loathing. Or I love what Pastor Jay Yount says. He says, discontent is dangerous. Eugene, if you want to bring that up, it says this. Because discontent breeds worry. And worry leads to lack of trust in God. Failing to trust God brings anxiety and discouragement. Discontent blinds you to the sufficiency of God's daily care for you. This is why our sermon series, and particularly our passage today, is so important for us. Because the Apostle Paul shares into his life his secret to contentment. It's such a simple thing, but he wants it to reverberate in the church of Philippi. And hopefully, God will take it and place it into our hearts so that we can be a people that walk in this beautiful thing that we call contentment. Does that sound good? 
Okay, so that, that was a question, you know. So uh, does this sound good? Yeah, yeah, you with me? So that's where we're going, okay? I want to look at what Apostle Paul says about the secret of contentment. So let's go to verse 11. It says this. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. What's interesting is here is if you know where Apostle Paul is, he actually is in need. Because he's in ministry. And he's in lack of funds. But he says something interesting. He says, although I'm actually in need, I am actually speaking to you as one that is not in need. Why? Well, he goes on and he says this. For I have learned, that Greek word is a mathon, disciplined by experience. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. Meaning, this is not a natural feeling. He had to learn to discipline himself. So I want you to get something right up front. Contentment is not a feeling. It's a discipline. It's an active decision of the heart. Did you get that? If we just let our feelings dictate our contentment, guess what? Most of the time, it's all over the place. Like you don't have a good lunch and you might be all of a sudden like all weird, right? It is an active, it's a decision that you learn and you practice. And there's two components that Paul wants to bring out that we need to actively decide to practice. The first one is this, that we need to know and practice and to learn that contentment does not come because of circumstance. Contentment does not come from circumstance. The funny thing is, is we are all wired to base our contentment on circumstance. Isn't that true? That's kind of how I do it, right? But Paul looks at it and says, biblically, no, that's not how it works. In verse 12, he goes on and he says this. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every, in, or in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So check this out. He's saying, I have at moments when it's low, when I don't have a lot, when I'm hungry. And guess what? It makes sense that I should be discontent, right? But I have had seasons where it's high, where I have a lot, where I'm abundant. And the same struggle for Contentment exists here as well as here. Isn't that true? Does that happen with you? It happens with me. It is not based on circumstance. The Bible constantly tries to teach us this. But for some odd reason, we buy into the idea of circumstances. And Paul wants us to learn and relearn and to discipline ourselves to say, no, actually, it has to be not based on my current circumstance. I find it interesting. You know, when you look at the most affluent countries in the world, like America, and recently I was in Japan, I mean, so many wonderful things, beautiful things, technology, wonderful, like, have you ever been in the subways in Japan? It's the best subways in the world. Everyone signs in an orderly, like, they all stand and wait and they get in. It's always on time. It's never late. And yet, with all the wonderful things that they have, the affluence, the education, the opportunities, highest suicide rate in the world. Discontentment 
Our contentment is not based on circumstance. Paul wants to start there. He wants to attack that in our hearts. I want you to take a look at this video because I believe this is something that we still buy into. And I want to just show you a few of the people in this world that maybe in our culture maybe has made it. And they're going to share a little bit about this idea of not based on success or circumstances or the high things that we experience in this world. Take a look. so revealing. And I don't want to glaze over this too much. I, I want us to maybe just wrestle in our hearts. Because you hear the Apostle Paul say, when I'm high, when I'm low, I've always learned it's not, contentment is not in the circumstance. But that's how many times we base our contentment. When I get here, when it's the highs that I want, that's when I know I will be content. And the Apostle Paul is looking at us, you and I, and saying, it's not there. So where is it if it's not on circumstance? Here's the second part. In verse 13, it says this, that the key and the secret to contentment, that it is found in Christ. It says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse has been one of the most abused and misapplied scriptures in all of the Bible, right? 
like athletes will write it on their shoes and we'll have mugs about it. And maybe you think like, oh, I could just dunk because, you know, God's telling me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what it's talking about. This verse is simply talking about that whatever situation and circumstance I face, that when I have Christ, I can not only endure it, but I can be content in it through all things because he is by means. His strength is that which picks me up and carries me through. I just want to take a look of how this verse breaks down. It literally is that I, you and I, are the recipients, and we can live in any circumstance, good and bad, high and low, through him because he is our source, and his strength is the means by that living so that we can walk in victory and, check this out, and contentment. Now, what I love about this verse is Paul never says it's easy to do this. He never says that in any of this. You don't have a job or when you're struggling financially, it's not easy. Paul never says it's easy. But check this out. He says it's possible to have contempt. Although it might be tough that when we tap into Jesus and make him the focus, that he can strengthen us. I love this verse in Isaiah 40, 29. He says this, God gives power to the faint, which is us, you and I, because we struggle. We're prone to be people that base our life, how we feel, on what's happening around us. And God is literally saying, I am the source, the means by your victorious living. I give power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. It's possible. It's a simple formula, but very difficult. We say this at church all the time. We say, Jesus is enough. And what Paul is saying is when I live that out, that's where contentment is found. Not in circumstance, because highs and lows will come, but it's found in Christ. If you look at verses 14 on, there's some profound truth that I want you to get. Because the next point is this, that the fruit of contentment grows by giving. Did you know that? That this fruit of contentment grows when we give. Now, maybe you and I, we can think that contentment comes from getting or acquiring or experiencing, right? Have you caught yourself ever saying, like, I need a vacation? Or I need the new iPhone 11. I need a new job. Because we might think that that is the solution to our internal turmoil. But Paul looks at that and he teaches us a valuable lesson that when we give, there is a spiritual fruit of contentment that's born in our life. You know, what's interesting about this is King Solomon actually did this as a social experiment in his own life. If you look at Ecclesiastes 2, he lived his life to acquire, to experience, because he wanted to find satisfaction. He wanted to see what worked, what was meaningful in this world. We don't have a lot of time, but I thought I'd walk you through this a little bit. 
In Ecclesiastes 2.1, it says this, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So what he's saying is literally this. I want to test myself to see if I can find the satisfaction I'm longing for. So I'm going to seek out pleasure. He mentions what? Laughter, wine, to see if like, oh, maybe that will be a part of the solution. And he's like, that's not. He goes on. He says, I made great works. I built houses, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He's like, I started building stuff. I started doing some social projects. I started taking things that are like just kind of in the work world, maybe people look at and kind of cheer me on, pat myself on the back, like you did a great work building this. And that's not it either. And then he said, well, maybe I should get male and female. I just need more leisure time. I need people to take care of stuff for me. For example, how many of you guys have gardeners? Don't be ashamed. We probably all have gardeners. Okay? Have you ever tried to do your own gardening? It's really hard. You have a lot of respect for your gardeners if you try to do your own gardening. Right? So maybe you think to yourself, oh, maybe if I just hire these people to take care of this stuff in my life, maybe that will be the answer. So Solomon tries it. Doesn't work. So he goes on to say, look, maybe it's herds, possessions of herds and flocks. Maybe the social equivalent today would be like signs of wealth and transportation. It would be like cars. Maybe you just get some nice cars. Maybe that's it. Nope. He said, maybe I got some singers, men and women, many concubines, the delight of children and men. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe I need to surround myself with better people. And at the end of it, Solomon does this social experience of gathering, acquiring, experiencing. And at the end of it, I want you to look at verse 10 and 11. He says this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found no pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward in all my toil. I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, this is a conclusion. All was vanity. It was meaningless. And a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained. This passes many times at our church. I want you to know that above the sun, meaning eternal things, there's great meaning. But below it, if you're trying to find satisfaction, contentment in this world, you will not find it. Amen? You will not. Solomon tried it. You and I try it all the time. It is not from getting. It is not from experiencing. It is not from your experiences, more possessions. Paul says something very interesting. He says, it's from giving. Well, look with me. In verse 14, we see that the Philippian church was a giving church. They gave to Paul money multiple times. In verse 14, it was kind. That's a good word. In the Greek, it means good, beautiful. It was good of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, 
No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And then in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So multiple times, Macedonia, Thessalonica, they give him money. So he says, it's good. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, obviously, Paul, you got money. So that's why you're saying it's good, right? Like when people give you money, you're probably like, no, it's good, right? But that's not why he says it's good. Do you know why he says it's good? It's because of verse 17. And this is very profound, and I hope you don't miss this. He says, it is good that you gave because it's not that I seek the gift. It's not that he seeks the money that they were giving him. He just told you, God is the one that that I seek the fruit. The Greek word there is karpos, the spiritual fruit that increases to your credit. Did you get that? See, Apostle Paul looked at this giving church and says, you did a good thing. You know why? It's not because I needed your money. God will take care of me. It's good because when you give, it bears spiritual fruit in your life. It frees you from the in gathering and hoarding. And then lastly, it helps you walk this life, to live this life like Jesus lived it. Do you know why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive? It's because that's how he lived his life. Mark 10, 45. You guys know that verse? This was his life verse for Jesus. He said this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love what Eric Raymond says. He says this, the heart of the matter is that when we ourselves determine what will satisfy, we don't pursue what brings true satisfaction. I love this part. He says, the broken compass within us always leads to the dumpster rather than the five-star restaurant. The broken compass in all of us can lead us to think that if I just get this new thing, this new person in my life, this new job, more money, more possessions, a new experience, that that will be it. That's the broken compass in us. And God is literally trying to say, when you give, you start getting free. You start learning the lesson that Paul just shared that he learned. It's in what we give. Now the next part. It rocked me this week. And I hope that it will rock you. Okay? Verse 19. This is third part. God's generosity always exceeds my own. It says this in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, did you hear that? My God, my personal God, my Savior, the one that loves me, that knows me, that gave his own son so that now I could be his son and daughter. My personal God will supply every need that we have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is such a beautiful passage. You know what it's telling you is that you cannot outgive God. Amen? 
You cannot outgive God. Now, I want to give you a simple illustration. Don't laugh at me. We just talked about giving. There's a blessing in giving. Here's the struggle. Okay, and this is what kind of rocked me this week. The struggle was you can think that this is my life. And this is my limited amount of stuff I have. And I need it. Not all of it, but I need some of it. And your struggle can be, you know God wants us to, as the blessed people of God, to give. But you can think is, if I give out of mine, and I give to God, I give some to people, you can think, that means I have less for my stuff. Because I have a limited quantity to give. Does it make sense? Am I the only one that thinks that way? No? You guys felt, you guys tracking with me. This is the struggle. Because when we are taught by the Bible to give and saying, like the parable, right, teaches us, when you are faithful with little, God gives to us more, right? So God always points us to be people that are giving. But the struggle is, you might think to yourself, I can't give, God. This is all I have. If I start giving, I don't have enough. Do you know how much Irvine costs? Right? This is, this is our struggle. So Paul is literally looking at you and I and saying, that we all love and know and we worship. Okay? He will, I know this is silly, but just follow along. He will supply. Somebody will clean that up later. (laughs) He will supply. Tell me if you believe this. God will always take care of your need. God always will take care of your need. Did you know Francis Chan in 2015... He made $500,000 as a pastor. The church paid him zero. He made all that from guest speaking and from his book. And he was sharing that he gave 90% of it away. 90%. How does that make you feel? My first thought, to be honest, was, I mean, 90? That's a little excessive. Like 50, right? Save some for your children. Like, you know, like... That's what I was thinking. And he went on to share, do you know why he does that? It's simply because he believes that God will supply his need. He always has, and he always will. For him, he believes 10% is all he needs to live. So this is a picture of the Adairs. They're in Japan. Uh, This is a ministry that we work with all the time. Three beautiful sons, wonderful couple from Texas. We got to spend some time with them when we went last time. Did you know that this couple, the way they make kind of their means to live is by people that just send them money from here. Did you know that as missionaries? So they don't know how much they're going to have in their bank account every month. Sometimes they could have $200. Sometimes they could have a lot more. Sometimes they could have zero. Okay? They are one of the most giving couple I've ever met in my life. They give to people all the time, to the church, to people around them, their neighbors. And I kind of was asking Robert on a, kind of on a drive, I was like, isn't that hard? Like, 
you don't know how much money you're going to have. And literally the same answer came out of his mouth, which is, you know, he's been on missions for many, many years. And he said his family has never missed a meal because he believes that God will supply his need. And the question for us this morning is simply this. Do you believe that God will supply your need? Because the Apostle Paul has just told us that contentment is not in the things that we have. In actuality, it's God that gives it to all of us. And let's just be frank. If we take a step back, there's so much in our life that we we don't deserve. There's no reason why we should have it as opposed to other people in the world. But we are so blessed beyond means like crazy. Like, it floors me that we have shows like Storage Wars, right? You know what that, the premise of that show is? People have so much stuff, they put it in these storage lockers. Back for it! We have so much. And here's the crazy part. Do you know how tiring it is to live, reigning life is, when you just sit there being unaware of how much God has blessed us, and you just live life, you and I, with complaints that we don't have enough. Do you know how tiring it is, how soul-draining it is, when you cannot celebrate other people's victories because of the discontent in our hearts? I want you to be a little bit challenged this morning. Search your heart. Where, where is contentment right now? Is it placed in other things when you know that those things will never satisfy? Are you holding too tight onto things around you because you just don't maybe have the faith to give and to step into the truth that God provides and takes care of all of our needs. We say this a lot at our church. We are probably one of the most affluent people in the world. It's not by accident. God has chosen each and every one of us to bless us in a way so that we can be a platform for his grace around the world. My prayer is not just for our own personal contentment, which is great, okay? As we go through the series, I hope you get that. This is not for you to just walk away and be like, cool, I'm content now. That's not the goal. The goal is that you're to go make an impact in this world for the name of Jesus. Because when you're not content, you're just focused on yourself. But when you start filling yourself with Christ, how can we not go and make an impact around us? I pray that you would just kind of soak into this this week. Have conversations with your wife. How much do we give? And if I could just be as blatant as honest, the church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. As a pastor, this is not me saying give offering. 
there's so many wonderful organizations. There's so many missionaries out there doing work that you and I know, and we need to start giving. Because we have way too much. And we are letting it get in the way of God's glory. And I hope that you would take this to heart. That it's not just about us walking away and feeling more content. It's our contentment will always lead us to do God's work. May the Apostle Paul's word bear carpos in our lives. So that we would walk as those that are like Jesus. To come to serve and not to be served. And to give, not just to receive. Let's pray together.